Well, we are extremely happy to be back to Out of the Main this week, John, um, because we're going to test a theory. The theory being, you should never meet your heroes. Well, yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't know. We have a flag on the play. This is a false start. Players not set at the time of the whistle. That is a 10-yard penalty. First down. Norman, you, you stumped me on this, and I thought you were going somewhere else. So I'm sorry. I apologize. Just continue on and pretend like I'm not here. Oh, okay. Can do. Yeah. All right. So this will be a two-person conversation. We yep. are so honored um, and fired up to bring on uh, someone you, you may know as a founding member of Steely Dan. You may know as a longtime guitarist with the Doobie Brothers. Right. And listeners to this podcast may even know him as Prolific Session Cat. Yes. His friends know him as Skunk, and we are fired up to welcome Jeff Skunk Baxter to the show. Welcome. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Happy to be here. This really is an honor. I got to tell you that uh, John's obviously, by looking at him, much older than me. <laughs> he and He's been listening to your music since the 70s, and he's the reason I got into your music. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Thanks, John. Yeah. You know what? I actually was uh, just doing a little noodling around before we came on here, and about five minutes before we started, I stumbled across, this is, I mean, not even in my notes, uh, a video of you with Linda Ronstadt playing congas. Do you remember 1973? It was uh, was it Bandstand? I think that I saw. Um, it was did... the either the Midnight Special yeah. or yeah something something like that. Yeah, yeah. So that was a first. I'm looking for guitar hero stuff, and I come across Jeff on the congas. So man of many skills. Well, if you're a studio rat, you got to do what you got to do. And uh, Polino de Costa, who was supposed to show. For the uh, for the for the show, uh, probably one of the most incredible percussionists to walk the planet, couldn't make it. So, actually, when I, I mean, I grew up in Mexico and Mexico City, and I started out playing drums. Mm. So, I, you know, I grew up in that in that genre, and so I learned to play congas when I was a little kid. And when the you know when nobody shows, you gotta you gotta step up, right? Yeah, yeah, you should see it, Tom. I mean, because you clearly knew the technique. It wasn't just, you know, some guitar guy banging on congas. I mean, he knew the muting and the palms and the slaps and all that stuff. So it was really interesting. But, Tom, please get us back on course. Yeah, so you weren't even supposed to be part of this podcast. Now you're already chiming in. What's going on? Well, um, well, one of the many reasons we're excited to have you on, Skunk, is because we just realized that you've got newer material out that somehow fell under my radar. Shame on me, because this new I'll call it a new album. You tell us when it came out, but the Speed of Heat album is absolute fire, as the kids say. It's awesome. So Speed of Heat, you've been working on this, you say, for decades practically, right? About 13 years when we turned in the when we turned in the record, when we turned in the track sheets, we noticed that the one of the track sheets was dated 13 years ago. So <laughs> yeah, uh, we my and my music partner, CJ Vanston, who's a phenomenal musician uh we co-produced it co-writer um uh we've been we started working on it years and years ago um we met actually in chicago i used to fly they used to fly me into chicago to do jingles uh with a number of the uh the jingle production houses there and one day 7 a.m in the morning you know i show up and then there's this guy cj playing keyboards and the producer comes in <laughs> baked and so (laughs) 
Yeah, well, it's usually, you know, it's downbeat. You know, yeah. we, we were doing five, six, seven jingles a day. Yeah. I come in on a Monday and leave on Friday night. Um, and so he, he hands out the music and it, it had, it says Hyatt, which I assume meant that we were going to do a Hyatt, um, the hotel, uh, chain. hotel yeah. commercial. And then it had a time signature and a key signature, 64 bars and no music. <laughs> and so he said, well, are you guys ready? You know, and I said, remember if you're a studio guy, you're always ready, no matter what they throw at you. So what if there was no music? So I just said, I looked at CJ and I said, well, pleased to meet you. Uh, oh, um, okay. Uh, I want you to, um, uh, roll tape, give us a click. And we just composed the song on the fly and the client liked it. Bobby, the, the producer liked it. And after the session, I said to CJ, you know, that's pretty phenomenal that we could actually compose this stuff on the fly. I said, if I ever do a solo record, I'd love to work with you. And he said, if you ever do a solo record, I'll be there in a heartbeat. So he moved out to Los Angeles and he's a first call studio guy and a producer as well on his own, in his own right. And we started finding time where we would just get together and see what, what was what. And after a while, we began to realize that we were building up a catalog of, of, um, well, I call it data, but cause it's on a computer, but we were building a catalog of music and performances. And maybe we ought to like, you know, do this more kind of, so that's kind of how it went out. Wow. <laughs> And of course, you know, our audience, myself, when I saw this, immediately I go to the track listing and I recognize a couple of titles from back in your Steely Dan days. Uh, Do It Again, which we'll get to. But obviously my old school was the one that's going to catch everybody's attention. It's one of the few vocal songs on the album. And <laughs> I, yeah, I, I read the story about how the vocal... Well, let, let me go back. When I first heard it, I thought this has so much power to it. You brought a power rock sensibility to it. And before I even read the bio, I said, it sounds like Steely Dan meets like the rock energy of Bon Jovi. It was still September when your daddy was quite surprised to find you with the working girls in the county jail. Then I read the bio, and I found out what you were thinking in terms of who was going to sing it, and if you'd love to tell people that story. Well, pretty straight ahead, uh, I, I, I used to sing the song live with Steely Dan, and so every time we would do it, I could, I could feel it. I, I knew the song had the potential for a lot more energy, um, uh, and every time we would play it, it would get more and more powerful. And then years later, when the opportunity came to do this, I thought, well, you know, why don't I give it a shot uh, in terms of arranging it? So I arranged it what I thought was a kind of a thermonuclear rock version of it. Uh, I laid down a uh, scratch vocal and sent it off to Steve Tyler. Oh, he's an old friend and then... I said, Steve, would you uh, would you would you like to sing this? I think you'd be great. And he said, 
well, yeah, but uh, who's singing this? I said, well, it's me. It's just a scratch vocal to let you know where it is. And so well, why don't you sing it? He said, come on, man. You know, I, I'm not a singer. He says, listen, you should really do it. And I said, you're bullshitting me, right? He said, no, <laughs> I, I, I actually believe it. And he is a friend, so I didn't think he would be kidding me. Yeah. And he knows way more about this stuff than I do. So I said, okay, I'll take, I'll take my best shot. I forgot to, to list it on the album, <laughs> but what the hell? Makes it more know? interesting. Who did all the backups then? Uh, myself, CJ, and a fantastic uh, singer uh, named Rick Livingston, who's the lead singer on that cut, Insecurity. Okay. The, ver the version absolutely smokes. I told John yesterday, I was like, I got to figure out a way, the right way to say the song is now complete in a way that I never knew something was missing before. But when I hear this version, I'm like, that's like you said, that's the one that we should have been the version all along. It just rocks. Um, and speaking of lighter notes, so there our audience are these um, personnel geeks features an organ solo by David Page. Yeah. Oh, which yeah. is cool. Oh yeah. And that rips. Those guys are like, you know, it's, it's well, of course Luke, Steve Luke, is there is a, is an old friend. We've done a million recording sessions together and, and David, as well we've worked in the studio uh with, you know when jeff Picaro and myself and all of us were you know were and still kind of our studio rats and when i told dave i was doing a solo album and i told him i was going to do my old school he called me and said i'm doing the organ solo <laughs> i said yeah damn right <laughs> absolutely You know, there's so many tribute bands out there, Steely Dan tribute bands, that have tackled that song. And every guitarist, I think, feels compelled to play it the way it was the original. They want to learn the original solo exactly as it is. And that was you, correct, the first time around? Yes. So now approaching it then this time, what did you feel? Like, you're like, well, I did it that way before. So therefore, I mean, what, did any of the thought about, do you bring anything from the previous version into it? Or what was your approach? Well, I thought, okay, I did that. There it is. And since I was going to reimagine the song, I should reimagine from reimagine it from the ground up. And the arrangement is different uh, from the original. And so I thought, okay, well, a great song is a great song, and that is a great song. And so it will it will hold up under any any kind of arrangement. So yeah, I wanted to reimagine it completely. Speaking of great songs, speaking of personnel, I want to ask this question before it comes up, um, because the first time I listened to this CD, or the, the, I spun the record, um, I did so purposely without reading any of the notes. I just wanted to go in completely blind and cold. So, John, there's a moment that comes up, and I'm sure you know what it is, where you're listening, the intro starts, and then there's a voice, mm. and I just get chills. It's like chills. And then it's like, so you can play it. The only thing that's real is what's inside our mind. We forget more than we remember. Michael McDonald and Skunk Baxter back together again. And the song is just awesome. So was he a willing participant or did you have to cajole him at all? No, just the opposite. Um, I was originally going to do a, a, an instrumental album. I mean, I grew up with the Ventures, actually ended up playing with them and producing records with them. They were my idols, you know, when I was a kid. Uh, and, of course, my dad had a great jazz collection. I listened to a lot of 
Django Reinhardt, uh, Charlie Christian and Wes Montgomery. Howard Roberts was my virtual mentor. Um, so I, you know, we got to the point where I, I wanted to do like an instrumental record. So the first one I wanted to do, of course, was Apache. I think that's probably one of the most iconic instrumentals ever written. And the same way, okay, I'm going to reimagine it. I think it's an incredible song, but I wanted to reimagine it. And I was just going to do an instrumental record. So I was up in Santa Barbara doing a uh, charity event with Michael. And Mike said, what are you up to? I said, well, I'm uh, going to take a shot at this solo album stuff. And he said, well, if you'd like me to do something on it, uh, I, I'd, I'd be happy to. And as we say at uh, Lawrence Livermore, it was one of the places that I work in at MIT, it took me one femtosecond <laughs> to change the whole <laughs> album concept to, okay, we're going to do some vocals now. And with Johnny Lang and Clint Black, uh, the idea, we said, okay, here's, we got some ground rules. The, uh, the ground rules are that you write with myself and CJ. And that you do something that you've never done before. You go mm. to a place that's out of your wheelhouse. I mean, if you listen to the Clint Black track, I played it for his wife and she half jokingly said, who the hell is that? I said, that's your husband. He's an un unbelievable musician. Um, and the same thing with Johnny Lang, when he heard the chorus on I Can Do Without You, he went, I'm a heavy metal guy. I said, damn right, babe. You, you know. <laughs> so when Michael came down, we started and we wrote and we composed together. And I, I got to tell you, I think it's one of the best things Michael's ever done because you really stepped out completely. And there was a little while where he wasn't really sure he, he even liked it. And then a few months later, he called me up and says, I really love this. Hmm. I said, Michael, you nailed the shit out of this. You, he did. You, yeah, it was so... I don't even know what it is, and that's probably good because I hate labels, uh, labeling things, uh, trying to describe something. It just is what it is. And, and, and we got a chance also, I, I love call and response with Michael. That was half the fun, kind of like the Rod Stewart, Jeff Beck dynamic. Mm. And so I, I, I did want to do something where I could we could share that again. Yeah. I was just going to say, I hope no one would take this the wrong way, but I feel like that's the best vocal I've heard from Michael in, in years. I mean, it's really just outstanding. John. Yeah. And it, to, to what he's saying, it's not a um, Michael style song. It's not all of a sudden we're bringing the, the R and B thing. That almost sounds like a soundtrack piece. I noticed that going through this record, that there are moments that it does feel like there is a soundtrack composer involved. You know, a song like that one, you mentioned Apache, Giselle is another one. So it, it, it gives a really... Yeah, we thought that sounded like a French, like a French movie. Yeah. That's why we called it for you, Giselle. <laughs> There's just, and it, it allowed you to use so many of the familiar textures that we know from you, you know, that... Um, that the, the lead, the rock and lead stuff, you sound like a 20-year-old energy just bursting forth when you're playing that and then you've got you. that very familiar like heavily compressed clean thing that you do the pedal steel we get from the rose 
Uh, it's like if you know what Jeff has done, I'm talking to the fans, if you know what he's done over the years, it's all in here. But as Tom knows, I, I get worried about guitar records or when the guitarist is on the front, I worry that it's going to be a gratuitous, you know, just wail for 35 minutes. And everything is so tastefully, musically done. Well, thank you. And you, uh, CJ, uh, again, to his credit, I mean, he he's written the... <clears throat> A lot of soundtracks, uh, Waiting for Guffman. He wrote, he's done a lot of movie comp- composition. I've done a lot of composition. I worked a lot with Lalo Schifrin. Uh, so to me, there's a visual, you're right. There is a visual part to everything I try to do. I, I, I'm not, I'm not, maybe I'm not conscious of it, but you're right. There's a, there, I, I've spent so much time connecting audio and, and visual. <laughs> You're right. There's probably a, a connection there. Uh, and you mentioned the uh, pedal steel. Uh, I never, I love, I think the pedal steel is the greatest instrument ever invented. Uh, the fact that it was first designed with aircraft cables and pulleys, it's a totally American instrument. I mean, it was designed, <laughs> wow. I, I play a show bud, but I do have a, uh, a Sierra pedal steel that was designed and built by the former uh program manager for the f-14 tomcat precision i mean these instruments are so precise and they're so unlimited i i love the voice of the steel and so i thought okay i'm going to take a shot here and do an acapella pedal steel part i just want people to hear the voice if i could sit back from the instrument i mean there she is back there you know, standing sitting back there. Oh, yeah. If I could just yep. sit back and let it do its thing, I would do that. But I have to obviously interface with it to make it work. So I I did an acapella uh, verse. Which came from years ago when I was on the advisory board for guitar player magazine and they had a 25th anniversary celebration. And they said, listen, skunk, would you play something while we roll photographs of those of our colleagues who have, you know, passed on. And I said, sure. And I, I I hadn't come up with an idea. And then I heard the rose on the radio. I said, it's gotta be one of the most beautiful melodies ever. I mean, it's Mozart. So, or, or a combination of Mozart and Chopin, the way it is constructed, very simple, very straight ahead. So I went out on stage and I played the first verse of the Rose acapella. And just when I got to the end of the first verse, <clears throat> Adrian Blue came out. Oh. And Adrian's <laughs> an old friend and a wonderful guitar player. He plugs in. And next thing I know, by the time we get to the end of the second verse, I've got a keyboard player, a drummer, and a bass player, and we're away we go. So years later, I thought, this song is composed itself. And I needed something on this record as a tribute to my father, uh, who is huge, played a huge part in my life. And I wanted to do something for him. And I could never really say how I felt. So I thought the best thing I could do was uh, play this song and um actually at the end of the tune 
I'm, I can hardly see because my, my eyes are just, you know, full of tears. So the last stuff that I play was really talking to my dad on that cut. Well, I had a question. Why the rose? <laughs> um, I think uh, whew, it's now more than I bargained for. Um, I hope you don't mind if I take just a quick uh, left turn here. We'll come back to this uh, new record. But since you mentioned all this technology, you mentioned an F-14. Um, I got to tell you, John and I were talking about you on the podcast years ago. And John brings up your Wikipedia page. It reads... <laughs> More recently, he has worked as a defense consultant and advised U.S. members of Congress on missile defense. And we're like, you thought I was joking. <laughs> Wait, that can't be the same. Well, there's only one Jeff Skunk Baxter, right? So, and there's an interesting story how this came to pass, isn't there? Well, yeah, and I'll try to make it as short as possible. Uh, the, the, sort of the overarching uh, dynamic is radar is just an electric guitar on steroids. Once you understand the physics of all of this, you can pretty much go down any road you want to. So many, many, many years ago, uh, I started reading all the defense magazines because I was consulting and still do for a number of companies. I've been with Roland for almost 50 years, Akai, Gibson, Fender, uh, and much of what I did for, uh, for do for Roland and did for Akai was bring the musical instrument world into the digital world. Combining it with computers, digital technology, digital reproduction, et cetera, et cetera. The cutting edge of all that was Department of Defense, uh, DARPA, uh, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, the DOD, Defense, uh, you know, the Department of Defense, uh, Air Force, and all the people that were involved. They were moving, especially in, in space communications and uh, radar. So we were moving from analog to digital. Everything was moving in the digital direction. So I would read these magazines to get up to speed on what was going on. So I was over in England, and I, I have a friend of mine. His name is Nick Cook. He was a senior aviation editor for Jane's Defense Weekly, which is a very prestigious. Uh, it's like Defense Week, a very prestigious uh, uh, national security defense publication. And Nick said to me, hey, there's this cool article I want to show you. You know, you can track the space shuttle with an S-band radar. Now, radar is divided into different bandwidths, S-band, R-band, X-band, and L-band. Uh, I said, well, that's kind of interesting. And then I, something clicked in my mind because the Aegis uh, uh, battle group uh, defense system of the U.S. Navy is based on the S-band radar. So I go home. I call up a buddy of mine at JPL who's a steel player. I said, John... I got some uh, some math I want you to do. So he did some math, and he calls me back and says, are you looking to track something with a low radar cross-section? I said, yeah. He said, well, you can do it. So what I was trying to do is I was trying to figure out a way to track an incoming missile warhead with this radar. So now that I knew I can do it, I wrote a paper. And my dad said, always said, when you got an idea, write it down. So I wrote it down, gave it to a congressman friend of mine who I've been working on. He was uh, he was uh, a chairman of the science subcommittee. We were working on the national space plane together. And so he gave it to the vice chairman of the armed services committee who called him up, said, what is this guy from Raytheon or Boeing or, you know, North of Grove? I said, no, nah, he's a guitar player for the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> the Doobie now, Brothers. <laughs> again, don't forget, Brian May just got his, master, his PhD in astrophysics. Well, that was my comparison. Yeah, you and Brian May. And uh, Paul, Paul Rivera, 
from uh, Rivera Amps is already working for the Air Force. So there is a, there is a wow. connection there. So I got a call from the vice chairman from Congressman Kurt Weller. So would you be willing to serve on the Armed Services Committee on Missile Defense? I said, yeah, sure. What does that mean? So I meant getting strapped in a chair, you know, taking a polygraph, getting clearances, getting sent out to Lawrence Livermore to work on high energy diode pump solid state lasers and some other technologies I can't talk about <laughs> and get and to go to the Pentagon and work at what at the time was SDIO, the Strategic Defense Initiative Organization. And I got to tell you, it was great in the Senate and the uh, congressional confirmation hearing. When the General Mal O'Neill, three-star general, was sitting up there and they were confirming me, he turned around. The look on his face was classic, like, <laughs> what? Whiskey, tango, Fostron, huh? <laughs> and uh, we became good friends. And I've worked for every director with, with SDIO, Building Missile Defense Organization, and the Missile Defense Agency since the beginning. And I've just, I'm back working with the new director. Unbelievable. Chad, now we just got to figure out a way to weaponize the mind of Jay Graydon because he's got all this stuff. In. <laughs> oh, I love Jay. Jeez. Well, everything, everything would be in phase. <laughs> I'll tell you that. I love Jay. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. We did a lot of sessions together. I bet. Well, once again, we have to hit the pause button uh, and divide this interview into a two-parter. So much info, so little time. Right. Uh, well, we're not really bound by the uh, restrictions of time, but I guess we bind ourselves by them. We do. All right. Well, let's bind our way over to, or bound our way over Ooh. to, a lightning round. Heat is on. Okay. All right. That's a different artist. I know. Um, all right. Well, why don't you kick us off? Me first. Me first. What have you found at sea? Okay. Uh, I don't normally listen to much terrestrial radio, but I was in a location that had it on, and they had on a station here that in Detroit that specializes in music of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. This is WOMC Morning Show. Uh, one of the great DJs of Detroit FM history, Jim Johnson. Mm -hmm. Otherwise known as JJ, yes. he has uh, been around for probably thirty plus years, holding down either morning drive time or afternoon drive time on a variety of stations. He's always been a mainstay. He does know his stuff, and he's an easygoing guy, easy on the ear. So he's been around a long time. Obviously, very likable to hold down those jobs. So yeah. Anyway, he came across something. If he said what the source was, I missed it. All I know is that this was fan voted on, and it was a list of the top five guitar solos of all time. So, give you uh -oh. a moment to think on that. Here we go. Yeah. Is it one of these again? No, this isn't Your that. Berkeley uh, faculty failed this well, test. Well, we're, we're, we're coming back to that eventually. Okay. Uh, okay. I had, at least artist-wise, I had four of the five correct. So, it'd be interesting. Give it some thought, and uh, you uh, could tell me how many of these you think you had on your list. Top five guitar solos of all time? Yes. Okay. Now, fan voted, and we're probably talking a roughly maybe a classic rock type of audience, okay. I'm guessing, from these answers. So, at number five was Eagles Hotel California, the guitar player. Okay. That's not Yacht Rock, though. Nope. Oh. Uh, I'm getting to the Yacht Rock part. Oh. Number four was Eddie Van Halen's Eruption. 
Okay. Which I guess is debatable whether that counts as a guitar solo. It's a so- semi-solo guitar piece, but I don't think that's what I think of. Right, right. right. Uh, number three, another one of the obvious ones, Jimmy Page, Stairway to Heaven. Right? That one came to mind immediately for me. Here's the one that did not come to mind for me, and that's David Gilmore's solo on Comfortably Numb. Yes, actually that may have come to me. It did not, but yeah. And then at number one... I had this artist, but I may not have picked this song, and that's Jimi Hendrix. Okay, all along the Watchtower. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so it's a, it's a pretty solid list. It, what's interesting though is after that, um, before they were heading into the next song, JJ had his own little sort of commentary on it, and he said that he would have given an honorable mention to Eddie's solo on "Beat It." That's what was going to be in my top five. Yeah. And then right as they're fading out and the next song is fading in, he says, and probably something from Steve Lukather. Nice. Like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I got to think Running With The Night or maybe like Hold The Line he's probably thinking of. Yeah. Or maybe the outro solo in Rosanna. Yes. But he clearly knows what he's talking about. Yes, he does. How yachty of you, JJ. Yeah. All right. Cool. That's uh, Found at Sea. Mm Mm-hmm. My found at sea, remember I've used this uh, little uh, ploy in the past, my little canard. I found religion uh, (laughs) on the song My Old School, which I've mentioned. (laughs) So because I think I finally heard the way the song was supposed to be recorded, give us a little more My Old School, which I found at sea. Skunk Baxter. Rock and or roll. Mostly roll. No, yeah. mostly rock. Yeah, definitely. Which brings me to my buried treasure. Okay. Same song, same version, but this time it's David Page being buried. If you didn't know it, then you would have missed the fact that David Page lays down the awesome organ solo. Yes, by his own demand. Yes. He says, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> Love yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, rock and roll. Somehow I've, I've conjured Penn Hollow. Yeah. Detroit I know. Will know who I'm talking another about. radio legend. So remember back. <laughs> so, so you get Barry Treasure. Barry Treasure. Yeah. Kind of back before this whole thing started, maybe a couple of years before that. I remember uh, I was just starting my deep dive back into older music. I had told you that uh this is probably 2015 16 maybe that at some point i stopped sort of looking for new music because i just wasn't being rewarded enough and decided to go loop all the way back and say well what about all that stuff i missed the first time around Mm -hmm. that i either went you know ignored or just kind of went under the radar deep cuts whatever and i gave you two recommendations i said if you dive into the doobie brothers catalog classic era Pretty much every song, top to bottom, all those albums you will love. And the other one that I told you about, I remember that day, was Linda Ronstadt. Because those were the two I was into at the time. It said, this 70s, 80s era stuff will give you what you're missing in life. So my buried treasure is going to come from that early era of the Doobie Brothers. But right when Skunk Baxter joined, he joined on the Stampede album, which is the one right before... 
Michael McDonald joined mm-hmm. and they made yep. the left turn. But I think this could have been a single. This is a deep cut, semi-deep cut off of that. I think it got some radio play. But I want to highlight the song from Stampede called Music Man. And the music man. So that's got all the classic early Doobie sound in it, don't it? It's a different experience when you listen to that older stuff. You know, what I did on your recommendation, I started with the very first record. Mm-hmm. It went all the way up, including the solo Michael McDonald stuff. That's a fun evolution to mm-hmm. kind of yeah. keep track with. Yeah. All right, very good. Uh, take us off the map, sir. Sometimes when you're listening to stuff where you have a shuffle on, you hear songs that maybe just weren't on your radar. I mean, this is off the map. And uh, Rolling Stones from Tattoo You, a song called Slave on there, which is sort of a deep cut. But what struck me was it has this sax solo in it. And it's not like like the Stones never have sax solos or anything. But what struck me is that it sounded like somebody who had jazz chops, big time jazz chops, playing on a Stones record. So I had to look it up to see who it was. So let's check out a little of this sax work from one Sonny Rollins. (laughs) On a Stones track. Yeah, that's not even like Yacht Rock saxophonist being influenced by jazz that's your pure yeah, on jazz i mean that that oh. really caught i knew i had to look it up i knew i had to know who it was yeah it's <laughs> sunny rounds i was like yeah reminds okay. me of uh stan getz playing on huey lewis yeah right exactly cool yeah all right well for off the map i am going to um reference a part of the conversation that we actually had with jeff skunk baxter and at a certain point we bring up the tune uh well first i bring up the fact that on his website he's got a a link called Interesting Stories, which I just think is awesome. <laughs> and so you go through that, you kind of listen to all these. I'm, were they I'm interesting? Just, I, I thought they were all okay. interesting, all right. including, you know, I asked him about it. But let me read from his website about um, how Bad Girls came to be. So Donna Summer. So a popular session guitarist, Skunk received a phone call for an emergency session with Donna Summer when another guitarist wasn't available. Remember, he tells that story mm-hmm. about why maybe that other guitarist wasn't available. Because mm-hmm. uh, he said, no, go ask Graydon. <laughs> <laughs> Summer was already in the studio. Skunk didn't have time to go home for a guitar, and so he stopped at Guitar Center, bought a $25 used electric guitar and a new set of strings, and rushed off to the studio. Hearing the arrangement that they had been working on, obviously, that's not part of it, he suggested that they step the tune up a bit. And the result was the always recognized riffs, and you could play it at the beginning of Bad Girls. Shows up late and tells him, you know, no, you got it all wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he was in a rush to get to the next session. He's like, hey, can we speed this yeah, up? And then, maybe that's what he said. And they misinterpreted it. But that opening lick becomes iconic. Yeah. And it's so funny to know that it was all kind of done, you know, in a rush at the last minute. And yeah. they probably had no idea what that tune when was. When you're working become. on instinct sometimes, though, you Truth. never know. Truth. Truth. Well, 
Is that it? Did is you it, do is it yours? True that you're really, you end the, a two-parter with just the single word? Uh, I thought we've done it in the All past. Right, you have ahoy. another? Okay. 